Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Down the HR Rabbit Hole. My name is Sanders Offner and I am the president of Crescent Payroll Solutions and Crescent HR. Uh, we have a, uh, an amazing topic today with a special guest. We look forward to some, some great conversation and hopefully those of you that are listening can, can walk away with some nuggets of information that you can bring back to your business or to your employees. Uh, but before we get into that, I do want to introduce our um, our resident HR advisor, Philip Carrillo. Welcome, Philip. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here as always. Awesome. Well, Philip, um, please introduce our special guest today. Today we have with us Mike McAbee, who is from USI. He is an underwriter for employee benefits. And the topic today and why this is so important, and I think every time I, I mention the word underwriter to employers, there's a, a little bit of a a shudder, they think, oh, God, this we're about to get into the finances. Well, that is the whole point of today's episode. I, th I think what we're going to try to do is demystify um, how insurance can be not just a strategic part of your employer brand for your employees, a benefit for your employees, but also how, how looking at uh, the finances of your employee benefits is a, an, a strategic imperative. So today's topic is data's impact on your insurance finances and your strategy. So without further ado, Mike, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. First of all, thank you for having me. I've been in the employee benefits world for a little over 25 years now. I actually started out on the more of an IT tech kind of side, putting together administrative programs like HR uh, administrative programs and just uh, found an interest, uh, always had an analytical eye, as they say, and mm -hmm. uh, just uh, migrated towards more a little bit of claims analysis and then into the actual underwriting which underwriting is simply trying to predict what the future is going to be specifically related to insurance costs mm -hmm. it's no great mystery <laughs> <laughs> well that's so important though to hear i mean sometimes you see these titles on these emails when you're going back and forth and exploring a new a new program for your company and that can be really intimidating actually thinking about underwriting or thinking about how you're going to finance a program for example um, that you know you need to have to be a competitive as an employer, but you're just thinking, gosh, how can I do this? So today, I think, um, let's talk a little bit about, uh, how do, well, let's start at the very beginning. When does an employer need to start thinking about offering benefits? Really at the time that you have a, an employee, including yourself, if you're you know, a single person operation, yeah. you need to take into account the, the health insurance. One, it's a benefit. You know, it is a standard thing that American employees have come to expect from their employer. It's the way our society is developed, right, wrong, or indifferent, whether you agree with it or not, it's the way it works. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the, secondly, it's a way to ensure that whether it's yourself, a small group of employees, a large group of employees, are present at work by providing that health benefit, which is the reason it first became this way, in, uh, is that it's a way to be sure that the employees have their health taken care of so they can continue to be a productive part of your staff. Yes, yeah, absolutely. There's um, a famous motivation theory, which I just read about recently by Hertzberg, and he talks about if employees cannot be healthy, they cannot be satisfied. <laughs> so that is a prerequisite to employee satisfaction and engagement. I think satisfaction is what we used to call engagement. Engagement is a little bit broader term, but I think it gets to the point of the matter that is you want productive and healthy employees. So those two are never the two 
are separated. Well, it, it, this is it just it, it's interesting that you say that. When I first got into this business, it was like, well, you know, boy, this is a lot of work. And as I kind of began to understand and remind myself I'm an employee as well as somebody that's helping companies make their decisions, mm-hmm. it kind of dawned on me. Ultimately, what we do in the employee benefits world, particularly employee benefits um, insurance, is we make it possible for a mother to take her child to the doctor and not worry about it, not worry about the cost, not worry about whether or not they're going to find out something that they can't afford later on. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's, it's assurance. Yeah. Wow. Making those decisions that are life-changing, literally life-changing, feasible, rather than uh, dreaded. Right, exactly. (laughs) Okay, so let's talk a little bit about um, when when an employer, this is a common thing that I see, actually, in particular for some of our smaller clients who um, maybe have employees who are making less than uh, than s- some of some people in other roles are, you know, maybe they're at the $15 an hour range for uh, retail um, clients of ours. In those cases, those employees actually can go to the federal government, uh, to the marketplace, that is, and they can find um, subsidized health plans ranging from dental vision as well as health care plans. So, um, as an employer begins to offer benefits, that no longer becomes an option for those employees. So when when is it that? Um, well, t- talk to me about that dilemma. Okay. Well, the f- the federal laws and the the uh, remnants of the uh, the ACA Affordable Care Act are really set up to where that an employer is able to transition to do that. To where by the time that they have fifty employees, uh-huh. on up to a hundred employees, that company should have the financial resources to be able to take on that portion of it for an employer. For for its group of employees, before you get to that fifty point or that that fifty employee range, mm-hmm. you really your your obligations are very minimal. Right. Um, but it's a really I think you're talking about that fifty to one hundred. But that's which which one of the biggest transitions that can happen for a company as right. far as all the r- laws that kick in, that's right. including in the world of benefits. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with that in mind, really the the case is to work with. A, a qualified advisor work with a broker that or a advisor consultant you'll hear different labels but someone that truly has access to the various carriers that knows has a good deep working relationship with the various carriers but also has an in-house independent staff that's not just simply going out and gathering quotes from the various carriers and then bringing back and showing them to you that's actually able to help you understand where are these costs coming from? What's the best way to spend my money? How do this? How do the rates or the salaries that I have within my population compared to my competitors? So that I know right. how to set yes. uh, contributions. Is are, what benefits level do, are my competitors offering? So where if I do I want to offer a little bit better? Do I want to be mm-hmm. pretty much on the same beam? Those type of things are somewhere that a, a good advisors can be to help you to do. Yeah, that's a really great point. I want to um, recap on on one a uh, couple of those pieces there. So when you said, when do you start thinking about benefits is really when you start to hire your first employee, including self, if you're an LLC or S Corp or any of those various um, kinds of entities, you start thinking really early on because if you're going to offer benefits that can 
bring to bear on your comp your total compensation package. So that's a, a really, I think, a, an important way to think about benefits as a cost. Maybe it's not something that you tack on at the very end. It's part of also your competitive advantage as an employer. So you're looking around and you're benchmarking with you know your your next door neighbor or the business down the hall, and you're trying to see how am I going to manage to retain the employees that I've just got to 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 retain these key employees in order to drive my business forward. So it's got that kind of strategic exact impact. exactly. Well, all right. What has the impact uh, been of COVID nineteen on renewals? Well, it has. It's been interesting to say the least. Without a doubt, this last fifteen months is the most unusual period of health care costs and health care predictions that we've had since the current health care system came into being. Um, you know, the, when the Spanish flu and that period happened, it was we didn't do health care the way right. we do yeah. it now. Yeah. So everything that we've seen for the last 14, 15 months is there's no precedent. With that said, it pretty quickly fell into a pattern that, that you could recognize and that early on, February was pretty much February, March, when it really started to hit, people quit going to the doctor, period. Mm -hmm. Even hospitals shut down. Unless somebody was in critical health going to potentially die, they were not in the hospital. It started loosening up a little bit for those critical cases, but we didn't see elective cases start happening again until about this time a year ago, a little bit, even a little bit later on. So what that caused is from an overall cost standpoint to an employee, uh, to an employer's health plan, whether it be that they're fully insured or self-insured, mm -hmm. the claims were way down. Then they started to come back up. Well, early on, the provide the, uh, excuse me, not the providers, the carriers were saying that for when COVID first came along, it's like, hey, this thing's fixing to cost 40% more than anybody expected. You know, it's going to cost your health care costs to go out the window. Pretty quickly, we saw actuaries. I'm not an actuary, but have a team of actuaries that we work with at USI. We saw that the claims were going to dip. There was going to definitely be a recovery as people had those delayed things that they didn't take care of. But the dip would be deeper than the bubble back up. Mm. So the savings from lesser utilization would be greater than the additional cost. And that wow. came out true for the average health plan across the country last year. They actually wound up about three, 4% lower than before. Not a dramatic difference, but a noticeable difference. But of course, if you're, we're paying a premium every month to the carrier, well, think about it. The carrier, they didn't lower your premiums. Right. So the carriers wound up making more money last year than they expected to. Right. This year, they are still on the idea of, of you know, going into the, 22, the 2022 renewal season are still on this. Oh, well, utilization still recovering, so it's still high. So we're going to predict an increase. And it's like, well, wait a minute. You've already made more profit from last year. You're making more profit right now, but you're going to predict that you're going to make more profit next year. And that's that's my job is to notice those trends, see how the carriers, you know, we know the carriers have to make money. They've got to be profitable. We all are in. So everybody has to make profit. You know, we believe in the carriers making profit, but making a fair profit. 
and that's what we're going to do is look at those service portions of the fees. And if you really think about where your medical costs, your health care costs, you know, I'm talking specifically about medical in this case, but it applies across the board in, in all your benefits. The cost of buying the service, the premium, the administration fees that are built into that, that's a negotiable item. That's a, a cost of doing business. The claims portion of that you have to handle a little bit differently because you know there are ways that you can impact the claims depending on how you address your employee population with population health management um, whether they're going in network or out of network and you know let's jump into that in a second here but the you know from a profit standpoint we want to be sure that the carriers are charging an appropriate amount that they're not charging too much and also that when we go out to the market, we're not letting them undercharge. Or if they undercharge and we recognize it, because if we let them undercharge, that means they're going to make it all up the next year. Mm -hmm. So we've got to keep that. You know, it's like, well, it looks like a really good deal this year, but long term, it may not be the best answer. I see. Yeah. Wow, it's really important to have a have an understanding uh if, and if you don't have an understanding then to uh, have a partner like y'all i think on that i mean it so quickly goes over my head and i've done benefits a lot over the years and so it's a very complex area for sure um well let's actually take a step back for a minute and can you talk about um the different kinds of plans that employers can offer and speak in this case to directly to um, say the employer that is under 50 employees or maybe under 100 employees because there's some, a lot of similar concerns although different reporting requirements so um, maybe tell us a little bit about self-funding what that is sure. give us a little education okay so going from one end of the spectrum with the small groups and a small group could be depending on a carrier's definition a small group is two people yeah. Well, really, when you're in those very smallest groups, what you're doing is you're buying a block of individual policies to where they're going to look at the age, the gender, and uh, the, of each member. And there, there's a standard rating table. So really what you're doing is buying the same insurance policy as you could buy as an individual. You're just buying it in a block. Mm -hmm. They might give you a little bit of a discount, but, but it's, you know, it's individually rated. Then as you get up into a little bit larger and as you approach the 20 to, to 50 range, definitely by the time you're in the 50 range, you're going to be in what is called a community rated group to where that all of, the, you know, you are buying a group policy to where that it's not naming the individual members and it's based on just your population. Mm -hmm. But the majority of the, of the cost is predicted based on just the community at large you know similar c c companies in similar industries similar demographics using uh, what we call manual rates wow okay, okay. so they could can i um, ask you to apply that give me an example of like um, a, a community that would be higher cost versus a lower cost well a very simple is a a 50 person oil field company is going to be much more expensive than a 50 person call center company. Okay. Okay. Particularly because then it's going to, that oil field company is probably going to start to skew a little bit more male and a little bit older. 
then you know there's because those the, everything that you know as as you know the things that start to cost you more money as you get older or male versus female those apply in the world of insurance so many data points exactly. important data points everything exactly. brings to bear everything right so then from the community rated as your company gets a little bit bigger they'll start to blend uh, in your fully insured rating to where that you have a set premium per month but they're going to blend a little bit of community rated and a little bit of what your actual experience is okay a little bit how much do you vary from the typical group uh -huh. as you get even bigger your experience will stand its own as on its own as a fully insured group then probably you're in about the 100 to 200 range by the time all that starts to happen really quickly after that in about the 200 to 300 range you might start looking at self-funded which really self-funded it just splits the costs apart to where under a fully insured plan you're paying a premium every month just like you do with your car insurance doesn't matter if you use it or not if you use it it's probably going to change cost the next <laughs> year you know the ch and, right. and, and you know, obviously everybody's using their health insurance over the course of a year hopefully they are so the you know the cost will go up based on your relative cost again compared to the community or what their expectations were uh, as the carrier underwriters that's where a good consultant is going to come back and kind of back up or look do an independent set of numbers to where you've actually got an underwriter on the employee side rather than just an underwriter only on the carrier side worrying about those profit points that are out there mm -hmm. okay mm -hmm. so the next step when we go to self-insured rather than having everything bundled into one number you buy the service of the carrier that's to administer the claims actually process the claims and you buy some insurance to help but it's stop-loss insurance that helps protect you from unusually high costs so it's, and then the remainder and the largest portion of your costs are the actual claims and you as the plan as a self-funded plan you pay those claims if they're higher than expected you'll pay those up to a maximum based on that stop-loss insurance we talked about but if it's less you yeah. take the profit yeah okay um, so that's that's really at a you know a very basic description of how self-funding works there are some in-between steps between fully insured and self-funded to where that ultimately it's shifting some of the risk from the carrier to you mm -hmm. and as part of shifting the risk you become able to benefit when things are better than expected okay that's that's really very 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 helpful when should an employer you know a lot of people I've, I've heard a lot of positive things about self-funding when should employers really start thinking about that I mean is it is there a strategic number is there a strategic time in, in a employee or business life cycle the 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 number of employees is really going to be your biggest key the it's you generally and again it varies by industry it will vary by what your your company's economic goals are it depends on what your risk tolerance is mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you are you know an individual that's an entrepreneur that it's like hey I'm gonna take every nickel that I can find a way to see you know there's sometimes you'll see groups that are under a hundred employees go self-funded right typically though it's somewhere in that 100 to 300 range okay I see okay um, we'll you know a, a the thing that you'll want to do is look at what your claims history has been in the past uh, look at what you're paying for your administrative costs what do your large claims look like it's really 
in today's world, and especially over the last couple of years, because of the you know we talked about that the claims were down. You, you know, if the average claims go down, but a person with cancer doesn't stop going to the doctor, a person that has a heart attack has to go to the so it's made high cost claims look really big compared right. to the average claim now. So high cost claims are really driving costs right now. Right. So how do we really predict what the next year is going to be like? You've talked a little bit about um, how uh, and the actuaries are focused right now on trying to really predict what's what's happening in the next year, especially with the previous year being what it's been. A lot of our clients are growing. That's their goal. That's their strategic vision for their companies. And that's also just a, a circumstance of what's happening right now. Demand is through the roof everywhere, right? right. So um, everyone's growing. What do you what do you recommend for companies that are growing? Um, how do they need to be thinking right now when it comes to benefits? Well, you, one, you want to think about, are you, and this is not a financial question, but I'll get to the finances. Yeah. One, are you in a partnership with a carrier that has the ability to grow with you and provide you with the strategic things that you need that as you get bigger, you'll probably go and get on your own as you set up your own bigger plans. But someone that has the ability to help you understand at the same time you've got to have and i've said it before a really good advisor that understands your business that partners with you that brings resources to the table to help you understand what's going on in the world of insurance because it is complex mm -hmm. those two things then power you to look at the idea of how do i put in a wellness program uh, I'm a big advocate for as a you know as, as the financial person. Uh, when you start to put in a wellness program, if you'll put your wellness program in while you're still self-insured, excuse me, while you're still fully insured, you start to create that culture. And there's usually a little bit of uh, when you start to get everybody to go to the doctor or start to pay attention to their health a little bit better. There's actually a little bit of an uptick in costs as pe as things get recognized. Right. You know. Uh, the person's got high blood pressure, well, now they've got to get on a program. They need mm -hmm. to take drugs. So we're going to have a little bit of an uptick. Well, while you're fully insured, that uptick just got got handled by the carrier on the fully insured plan. Now you've got it stabilized, and you take advantage of the long-term savings on your self-insured plan. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's just knowing that you have a long-term plan. Uh, for our clients, we're able, as they reach that 100, you know, as we start 100 range, we'll actually run them through models and start to say, well, if you stay fully insured, here's where your claims have been going. And we can see, we know there's predictive, past predicts the future, definitely, with, with some interpretation. So here's where your claims are, have been in the past. Here's what we would expect your cost as a fully insured group to look like. Here's what the cost that you would incur as a self-insured group look like. And you start to just do the model and do the math, and you can generally predict. You know, you'll see. Well, it's fifty-fifty. Well, that's a f coin flip. Okay, that's mm -hmm. that's hard, but generally it's like, well, no, it's very obvious you need to stay, or very obvious you need to go. Right. One last thing is, we definitely want to be looking at what your claims history is and what your employee base is used to doing. I had a client a couple of years ago, actually more than a couple of years ago now, that we went in with. Uh, it, was, it was a new relationship, and they had other consultants coming and saying, hey, you, you're 350 employees, and you need to go self-funded. 
we looked at their claims and they had a diabetic problem that was just lurking. They had a lot of diabetic drugs, mm -hmm. but no diabetic aftercare. We said, don't. Their rates went up over 125% that they would have eaten all of that had they gone, gosh. To fully gone to self. So Mike, uh, we certainly appreciate your time today. This is really good, valuable content. I'm sure we could probably do a, a whole nother episode on self-funded, but we just don't have any more time today. But uh, thank you so much for joining us and being with us today. We certainly appreciate you. Thanks so that's going to that's going to wrap up today uh, for another edition of Down the HR Rabbit Hole. Thank you all for listening and and hopefully all of you that tuned in um, really got some great information and you could take away many things back to your business or to your employees. Thank you. Thank you.